Um, about last week and my daughter having open heart surgery, and I can't tell you, I can't adequately describe the love that we felt from you, um, the prayers. There were, there were some of you who gathered at school and prayed for Brinley. Um, there were some of you that sent like text prayers to Sarah and I. Uh, I saw people reposting things on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and I just want you to know, like, as a dad, it just, it melted my heart, and it was so powerful. So thank you for doing that. I'm so glad to be back with you. I'm going to give you a quick update about Brinley, but first, let's pray. Join me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time, this space, this moment, God, for us to um, talk about this this idea of morality and um, and what it is that maybe Hitler and, and Mother Teresa and we might have in common. And um, God, I just pray that you would speak to each of us clearly tonight. That God, we would understand ourselves better. That we would understand you better. And that God, we would take one step of faith closer to you after tonight. So we love you, God. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let me tell you about the worst day of my life. The worst day of my life was last Monday. And on last Monday, um, we took Brinley in for open heart surgery. And on that Monday, we woke up at super early at about 4 a.m. Brinley had her last feeding. And then we went to the hospital and they delayed the surgery. And so I'm sitting there, I'm holding my baby girl. She's seven months old. And for those of you who don't know, my daughter has a, had a heart condition that they needed to actually open her heart up and do surgery and put some patches in. And so I'm holding my daughter, and then they take us up to this pre-op room. And as I'm up there in this pre-op room, Sarah and I just begin crying. Because it all of a sudden hits us, this is real. This is no longer something that we're just praying about. There's no longer a fear or an anxiety. This is a reality. And so we... We, we begin this journey, this walk from probably the length of this stage to where we will hand Brinley off to the surgeons to do their thing. And so as we're walking with Brinley, we get to that point and we pray for her and then we hand her over. And as a dad, I can't, I can't put it into words what that was like, that moment of going, you know, Sarah and I would never say this at the moment, but what if I don't see her again? You know, my heart loves this little baby so much, and, and I am so captivated by this beautiful little girl, and, and it just seems like what she has is wrong. Like, why does it exist? And so I hand her over, and the doors close, and Sarah and I just begin weeping. And we hold each other, and we pray, and we're just weeping. And I start with that tonight, because I have a question for you. And this may seem like, no, Eric, you're overanalyzing it, but, but it's a question that I want us to seriously consider. Why do I feel that way? Why if you were in that kind of situation, or maybe the situations you find yourself in where you see suffering or you see something going on, you see somebody mistreating someone else, you see somebody acting immoral, what is it in you that says, that's wrong? Have you ever thought about that before? Like, why do you feel that way? Or maybe another example um, would be body slams and kisses. So Charlie, for those of you that don't know, I have a two-year-old son as well. So I have a seven-month-old Brindley, and then I have a two-year-old son, Charlie, okay? And his favorite thing to do to his baby sister. Now, this kid, I just took him to the pediatrician today. He weighs 35 pounds, okay, you guys? He is two years old. He weighs 35 pounds. His weight is in the 95th percentile. The doctor looked at me, and he's like, 
maybe you want to cut back on the pizza and chicken nuggets just a little bit. You know what I mean? Like just, a, just slightly. And I'm going, but I love that stuff. And so does he. So what's the problem? But for whatever reason, like this kid is a monster of a kid, right? Like, it, like compared to everyone else his size, he's just like, oh, he's like Godzilla. So anyway, so here's Charlie and then little delicate Brindley. And, and what he does all the time is he'll go up and he'll so, so, so gently give her like these little kisses. And it's so sweet. It's so cute. And while he's kissing her, he'll be like, and then he'll go, boom, and just like pounce on her. You know what I mean? And you're like, what happened? When did this turn into WWF wrestling? Like, what's going on, Charlie? That's your sister. You're going to literally squash her like a bug, you know? But, but this is what he does. He oscillates between these kisses where I'm like, that is so cute, right? Like, he's kissing his baby sister. That is so cute. Like, he'll cuddle up and he'll hold her legs and he'll do all kinds of embarrassing stuff that we'll tell him about later. And he's just like way into his sister. And then all of a sudden, he'll switch. And he body slams her, right? Like he's giving her the people's elbow, right? He's like, boom, going after her. And I'm going, why does he do that? But then I asked this question, which is similar to the first question I just asked you. Why does that bother me? And you're going, Eric, Eric, it's because you're a dad. It's because you should be looking out for your daughter. But I want you to seriously think about this question. What is it about when my son mistreats his sister? Why does that bother me? Or maybe when you see somebody at school being mistreated. Right, or you see, you read about something. Right, you hear about these, these girls who are kidnapped and they haven't been brought home yet in another country and you're going, oh, that's wrong. Right, or maybe you see somebody acting a certain way at school or doing something at school and they, they claim to be a Christian but then they're living this other way and they're hurting people and they're making fun of people and it's like, oh, and something in you says that's wrong. That's the question we're going to be exploring tonight. Why do you feel that way? And so that's what we're going to be talking about. And I think that is actually evidence for us about why we believe in God. So the first thing I want to talk about tonight is this idea of absolute truth. Because the questions that I just asked you beg the question, why do you feel that way? And so there is this theory, there is this philosophy that I happen to believe called absolute truth. Which essentially means this. That there are unchanging standards of good that exist outside of your own opinion, okay? So absolute truth is this theory that this, that there is unchanging truths that exist in the world that are not just because you happen to feel that way, but because they're true. So for example, you hear about a friend. You hear about a friend who's making all these horrible decisions, And something in you says that's wrong. They shouldn't be doing that. Right? Or you hear about one of your friends that gets beat up. Or something happened to your parents. Or something evil, something wrong happens, and in you, you go, there's something off. It's not okay that that's happening. What that's an argument for is that there are absolute truth, that there is a truth in the world, that there is truth going on, that there are things to believe, that it doesn't matter what culture you find yourself in, it doesn't matter what time and place you find yourself in, they are wrong. For example, murder, right? Like if you think of the concept of murder, there's this general consensus across time, place, cultures that murder is just wrong. And the question we have to ask ourselves is why? Why is that the case? Because if yes, if there is such thing as absolute truth, and I want you to really think about these because you have to, let me back up and say this. If you believe in absolute truth, if you believe that there is such thing as absolute truth, then you have to answer the question, who 
created that truth. If there is such thing as absolute truth, then that means there is someone, there is some God who created that philosophy, who created that way of understanding the world. And so if yes, then truth is not a matter of opinion. It's not just like me going, hey, that's what's right for me. And I don't know if you've heard your friends say this before, but hey man, you go to church or you believe in God, like that's cool for you, that's not right for me. But if there is such thing as absolute truth, then it is not a matter of opinion, but rather given to us by God who is not limited by culture or time or space or any of those borders. But, and this is huge because you're going to have to wrestle with this, if you don't believe in absolute truth, if you maybe came tonight and you're going, you know what, that's cool for you, and that's cool that like you believe in God or, or, or that you believe he's the only way, but for me, I, I don't believe in that. Then you have to answer this. If no, if there is no such thing as absolute truth, then what Hitler did and what Mother Teresa did are just a matter of opinion. You cannot say either is good or bad. Wow. That's a big deal, right? If there is no such thing as absolute truth, if everybody, if, if like we're just all created and I can do whatever I want and you can do whatever you want, it's not that big of a deal, then You have no moral authority. You have no way of saying what Hitler did in killing six million Jews was wrong. Nor can you look at what Mother Teresa did and say, man, what Mother Teresa did is good. Because if there is no such thing as absolute truth, then you have no basis for arguing what is true and what is good. And I want you guys to think about that for a second. Because I live in a culture too. I'm I'm with you guys, right? Like it is hard when I have conversations with people. Maybe about God or something. And they go, hey, that's cool for you. But that's definitely not cool for me. But what they're saying there in that moment is, hey, you can have what's true for you. And I can have what's true for me. But the problem with that is, what if they're true and your true don't line up? What if they think it's okay to hurt or steal or murder or whatever, and you think it's not okay. Well, we would live in a world of chaos. So I want to do this quick experiment with you. Um, I want to invite up two people. So I want to invite up Nick. Nick, will you come on up here real quick? All right, and then who else? Uh, Jonathan, come up here. Uh, or John, James, James, come here, James. James, David. Let's give it up for James and Nick. Come here, okay. All right, so you're going to be right here, Nick. All right, you're going to be right here, James. Okay, cool. So here's the experiment, okay? I want you guys to just watch, and I want you to answer the question, how do you feel, okay? So all you have to think about, and you don't even have to think because it's just a feeling, right? Like right now, I just want you to feel, okay? Are you ready? Okay, so here we go. James, dude, that shirt is awesome. That shirt is awesome, man. Did you just buy that recently? No. You look so, doesn't he look pretty buff? Do you guys agree? He looks pretty buff, right? Let's give it up for James, man. What an awesome guy, James. Dude, you are so awesome. That's so cool. Nick, who dressed you today, bro? Like, what the heck happened to you? Like, you're not supposed to be wearing that much blue, and you've got to start shaving more, dude. Like, that's embarrassing. Nick, why did you even come to youth group today? I mean, got some James, I got to say, dude, honestly, I want. what's that workout that we always try to do together? What is that called? Plyo, dude. I want to do plyo so bad because you like look like you got it all together and you're awesome, dude. Are you do you always have that best of a smile? Does he have a great smile? You guys see that? Dang, man. You have got it all together. That is so awesome. Oh my gosh, Nick. 
Nick, you're not going to go anywhere in life. This is so fun. Nick, you're, we're, like, why are you here, Nick? Like, why are you, oh, man, James, oh my gosh, James. You could do anything you want. What do you want to be when you grow up, James? Forensic psychologist. Forensic psychologist? Are you kidding me? Dude, you are totally going to do that. Nope. You're going to have an easy time doing that, man. You have the brains of a genius. You are so awesome. Nick, you probably don't want to do anything, huh? You're just like, you're just done. What, what do you, you want to be anything or do anything or what do you want to do? Honestly, what do you want to do? I, I, I care. Okay. I care about you. What do you want to do? Nothing. That's probably all you'll end up doing. Okay. Uh, that's great. That's great. Okay. Hey, can we give it up for these two real quick? Come here. Come here. Okay. All right. All right. So. I want you to know in advance, in advance, I warned Nick that I was going to be very unkind to him, and I don't feel any of those feelings about you, Nick. You are very well-dressed, way better than I am, okay? And that's not saying a whole lot, but whatever. You're awesome, Nick, and I love you so much. Um, But here's what I wanted to illustrate in that moment. How did you feel about the way I was treating Nick? You wanted to beat me up. Want to go at it? Let's do this right here. All right, so, no, I'm just kidding. I would never, I would cry. Okay, so, uh, Lucas wanted to beat me up. How How did someone else feel about the way I was treating Nick? You what? It was wrong. Right? Like, what was the deal? Like, Nick's a great looking guy. He's awesome. He's fun. He's great. Why was I making fun of him? How did you feel about how I was treating James? Really nice, nice, right? So here's my question. What gives you the right? And I want you to think about this. Seriously. What gives you the right to have an opinion about how I treated them? Why? Why can't, if, 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 if I can just do whatever's right for me, right? If it's just about whatever's right for me, whatever's right for you, why can't I talk to Nick like that? Do you notice, what, what was it? There was something in you. There was something in you deep down that when I was talking to Nick, you said, that's wrong. You said, you, sh- you shouldn't be treating him that way. And the question I'm asking you is, why? Why? So let's give it up for these guys. Go ahead and have a seat. So what, what we're attacking... What we're going after tonight, what we're going after, what we're attacking tonight is this idea that relativism, this idea that you can do whatever you want, doesn't really work. Check out this definition. It's the doctrine that knowledge, truth, and morality exist in relation to culture, society, or historical context and are not absolute. So if I just happen to not like Nick in that moment, because I'm a relativist, because I'm an, you know, if, if I was arguing as an atheist, I can treat him however I want. And if you're an atheist, you have to have this position, which is a bummer, right? If, if you don't believe in God at all, you have to hold this position that there is no such thing as absolute truth. Because if there is such thing as absolute truth, the question is, where did that come from? And that didn't just come from your parents. It didn't just come because where, where would it have come from from them? Well, the grandparents. And, and how far back would you have to go? And so if you're an atheist, you, you have to stand here and you have to say, you know what? The way he treated Nick... I can't comment. Just like I can't look at what Hitler did and what Mother Teresa did and compare them. Because if you're standing here and you're going, hey, I don't believe in God, then there is no such thing as absolute truth. So this is what's true, is that your reaction, your reaction to how I treated Nick, not necessarily your actions, because sometimes our actions show that we, we kind of maybe think like relativists or we're like, hey, I can do whatever I want, Right? Like, man, I can sneak out at night. My parents don't know. Like, I can hook up with him or I can do whatever. Like, I can do whatever I, can do whatever I want to do. Those are the actions, but our reactions, the fact that all of you kind of like pulled back, right? And all of you got frustrated. All of you got really concerned. 
show that you're not relativists, but that you actually believe in some kind of absolute truth. And so that's what we're going to explore for a minute. Um, C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite, favorite authors, he was an atheist. Okay, now he's written tons of Christian books. Obviously, he's gone now, but he wrote tons of Christian books. Um, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, he wrote Mere Christianity. He wrote all of these incredible books for Christians to understand God, but he was first an atheist. He was an atheist. And then somebody challenged him, and he had to wrestle with this idea. And it rocked him so deep down that he had to believe in God. He was compelled to believe in God. And so this is what C.S. Lewis says. He says, a man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. You ever think about that? You can't call something crooked, right? If this this line is kind of going all over here, you can't say that line is crooked unless you have some idea of a straight line. And so it is with God. And this is where we're going to camp out for just a few minutes. So it is with God. That the reason, the reason deep down inside, you looked at the way I was treating Nick and said that's wrong, is because God put his spirit, God put his image inside of you. That God has set a standard He has set a standard where we are to be holy. God calls us to live a life of perfection. And you're going, I can't do that. And you're right, neither can I. Okay, but God has set this standard. He said, I created you to live in a straight line. And the very fact that you notice crooked lines, the very fact that you see the world and you go, something's wrong, is evidence that you may think and you may begin to believe that there is a God. Because if there is no God, then how would you know that what Hitler did was wrong and what Mother Teresa has done is good? How would you know? Unless you had an understanding of perfection. Unless you had an understanding of the way that God created the world to exist. But I want to be honest with you for a minute. You remember that C.S. Lewis quote, right? He said, he said you, you'd notice crookedness. Well, if I'm going to be honest, and I, you know I love, I just want to be honest with you guys. I am part of that crookedness. I'm part of that crookedness. I make decisions on a daily basis that are selfish. I make decisions, actions on a daily basis that benefit me, that are all about me and less about others. That I say things to my family to Sarah, that I've gotten so angry about things, that I've said things that I could never take back. You know, when I go back to my hometown in Ventura, because of the life that I lived there, because of the people that I made fun of, because of the ways that before I knew Christ, I hurt people, I still have to apologize to people when I go back to Ventura. When I go back home, I see people that I haven't seen in years since like middle school, and I have to say, I am so sorry for the way I treated you. I'm so sorry for this. But then I became a Christian, And it turns out that I still struggle. Turns out that I'm still a little crooked. And I notice it because God has set up a standard. Because God has created the world for us to live in full relationship with Him, where we follow Him and we don't live a crooked life. But you guys, I struggle. I struggle. You see, it's in us, it's a part of us, it's a part of you. 
And the question we have to answer is, what are we going to do about that? And for those of you tonight, there may be some of you tonight who you are totally new to this whole Jesus conversation. Or you may be living in that relativistic world. And though you're hurt by the things that are going on, you're still kind of wanting to do your own thing. And guys, I come to you tonight to share an honest message with you that you were created for more than that. And that the very fact that you know there are some things that are wrong is evidence that God is right. Is evidence that God created you to live in a right relationship with Him. I want to show you some of these verses real quick. And this was even something that that people in the scriptures struggle with. There's this guy named Paul who hated Christians, absolutely hated Christians. In fact, he was interested in killing Christians. And then he became a follower of Christ. And this is what he said. He said, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Evil is right there with me. John, who wrote the Gospel of John and then a bunch of these letters, he also describes it this way. He says, I love the way he's just so honest, right? He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. So part of that absolute truth that we're talking about is the reality that you're broken and I'm broken. And because of the things that have been done to us, because of the decisions we've made, we're broken. And you guys, this should actually be a little bit hopeful because there's not a few of us in this room that are broken. Every single one of us is. Every single one of us. And if we pretend like everything's okay, if we pretend like we got it all together, then we are lying to ourselves. And God has something more for us. In fact, Paul later says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So every single person, right? This isn't just a handful of us. This is every single one of us have fallen short of that perfection that God has for us. This straight line that God has for us. This way of life, all of us have fallen short. We've all gone onto this crooked path. And as we're on the crooked path, because of the way God has created us, we can look at the straight path and know that there's something better. And yet we still find ourselves here in this crookedness. And so what's the solution? What do we do? So I'm going to read you a few verses and then we're going to wrap up. And we're going to answer this question. What do Mother Teresa Hitler and you have in common? Right? You're thinking, what could we possibly have in common? It's this. You, Mother Teresa, and Hitler all have the same thing in common, and it's this. An absolute, undeniable need for Jesus. Because we may be on the crooked path and notice there's a straight path, but we cannot get there on our own. We cannot just wander our way back. Because we naturally are relativists. We naturally are selfish. We are naturally looking for our own needs to be met. And yet we find ourselves, when we live that way, farther and farther down this crooked path. And so the thing that you, Mother Teresa, Hitler have in common, and the thing I have in common with them, is we have a deep need for Jesus. To come and forgive us, to straighten us out, to guide us. And so I want, to look at, I want to look at a few verses with you from the Gospel of John. It's this guy, John, who heard a lot about Jesus, and he actually went to prison. In fact, he was sent to an island. They banished him. The Roman Empire banished him to an island because he talked about Jesus. But what Jesus had done in his life was so powerful that he could not deny it anymore. And so this is some of what he wrote. In the beginning was the word, and he's talking about Jesus here. He's saying, in the beginning was Jesus. 
And Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Jesus, all things were made. So this idea of absolute truth was Jesus. It was God's creation. It was God's design that when he created the world, he set in motion laws and commands. He set in motion a way of life. So if you're here and you feel aimless, let me tell you that God created you to be in a relationship with him where you're not living aimless, where your life isn't pointless. He was in the world. Again, it's talking about Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So this is a story of us, right? That we have this this thing in our heart that says murder, rape, violence, abuse. It's wrong. You posting that thing on Instagram, of you doing that on the weekend and then coming to church, there's something wrong with that. You talking about loving Jesus and then treating this person like dirt, there's something wrong with that. You showing up here at a youth group And you hurting people's feelings by the way you talk to them, by the way you treat them, there is something wrong with that. And so God created this way of life and we ignored him. We said, I'm not into that. I'm not doing that. And every, here's the thing, you guys, every single one of us have done this, right? Every single one of us has said, you know what? I know this isn't a good idea. I know this is not what God doesn't have for me. I know this may be wrong. There's something in me, even if I don't know Christ, there's something in me that says this is wrong, but I'm gonna do it anyway. And so we find ourselves down this crooked path. And so what Jesus does is he levels the playing field. He says, okay, okay, okay. Your morality, your goodness is not going to get you into a relationship with me. Because even Mother Teresa has baggage, right? Every single one of us in here, me, I'll be the first to say, I have so much baggage in my life. And if you're honest about your life, you know what I mean. That you're selfish, that you're broken, that you hurt people, that you deal with anger, that you have that addiction, that you're wrestling with your self-worth and so you're hurt. There's, there's a lot of things going on in our lives. And if we're honest, our morality, our goodness is not going to get us anywhere. Because we're good and then evil is right there like Paul talks about, right? So how does Jesus level the playing field? With this one verse. Jesus said this. He said, I am the way I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you guys, this is so powerful. Because what Jesus is saying is, hey guys, your goodness or your evilness, you can't compare them. Karma doesn't work. This idea that you you do enough good things and God will love you. You're always going to be in this battle. You're always going to be in this unhealthy cycle of trying to earn God's love. And you know you'll mess up more than you'll do good, right? Because that's our nature. And so what Jesus says, he says this, look, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. Jesus is the way that we can't find on our own. So we're in that crooked path. We, we notice something over there, but we can't quite get over there. And so Jesus is the way that we can't find on our own. Jesus is the truth that we can't know on our own. Okay, this idea of, of you just intrinsically know that something's evil, it doesn't work. Because there had to have been someone, there had to be some God who gave that to us. And so Jesus is the truth we can't know on our own. And Jesus is the life we can't experience on our own. Um, this week, uh, 
a few nights ago, Charlie and I were watching a movie together, and we're sitting there right before bed, and um, he's laying on the couch, and he's in his jammies, which he doesn't fit in any of his jammies anymore, right? Like, he's got, like, these high waters, and this, like, his belly's constantly out. I love it. I think it's amazing. So he's sitting there, like, just chubby and brownies and all kinds of stuff, and so he's sitting there, and we're just, like, watching this movie together. And all of a sudden he does this thing where he like rolls over and climbs on top of me. And I'm like, whoa. And he's like, he's like me. He's like kind of in your face a little bit. Like I don't have boundaries or filters. So he's just like right there. He's like in my face and staring at me. And he just grabs my face and he says this. He says, I want to see you, daddy. And I'm like, I'm right here. What do you mean? He just stares at me. He goes, I want to see you, daddy. And I thought about that because I wonder how many of us are on this crooked path. And something in our heart says there's a better way. Maybe because of some decisions or things that you've been doing. Maybe your past. Maybe what happened six months ago. Or maybe that thing that you've been living with your whole life. Maybe you're going, man, I know there's a better way. I know there's something more. But then you hear about this idea of absolute truth. And you go, oh my gosh, God created absolute truth. I can't be absolutely true. I'm never absolutely true. And so God has this standard. And for me, if if the story were to end there, I'd go, man, I'm on this path. I can try to do good, but then my motives always get me in another place. It's like I need someone to carry me. I need someone to help me. And then there's the words of Jesus where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you know what, guys? You can have that relationship with him. You can have that relationship with him by just saying, I want to see you, Dad. I want to see you, Father. I want to see you, Jesus. And what Charlie's saying there when he's looking at me is he goes, I want to be in a relationship with you, Dad. I love you, Dad. And it's the most beautiful thing for me when Charlie does that. And I think it's a picture of what God wants from us. He wants us to go, Jesus, I want to see you. Jesus, I can't do this life on my own. I want to see you. I need you. I love you. And so I don't know, there may be some of you here tonight who have never done that before. Who you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, but you're realizing, hey, to be honest, yes, something in me says that there are certain things that are wrong and there are certain things that are good. And that's not something that I just inherited. That's just a part of me. And maybe after tonight you're going, man, I think God put that inside of me. But then, if you're honest, you're finding yourself on this crooked path, right? And you're looking, you notice the straight line, but you're on this crooked path, and you don't know how to get out of it. And you're trying to be moral, you're trying to be good, you're trying to do all this stuff, but at the end of the day, you know something's missing. You know you can't get on the straight path on your own. And then God, from a megaphone, yells. He says, I love you. Yes, I created truth. Yes, I created this way. And yes, I know that you're crooked. I know that you've fallen. But guess what? I could make you straight. I can make you right. I can make you whole. I could heal you. I could bring you into a relationship with me. And if you would only say, I want to see you, Jesus. I want to see you, Father. That I would come into your life. And I would begin to heal and restore and correct what is crooked and broken and make it straight. And so that's the invitation tonight. That God, who created absolute truth, who created each of you, and put inside of you this awareness of wrong and right, that that same God put that inside of you so that maybe tonight you would say, you know what? I want to fully surrender to that. 
I want to stop trying to do it on my own. I want to fully surrender to you, Jesus, because you are the way. You are the only way. You are the truth. You are that truth. And you are life. And you guys, as a personal testimony, I remember that night when I made that decision, when I said, look, I I have been living this crooked life, and I'm ready to just give it up because I can't do it on my own. There was a sense of freedom and a relief and a journey that has been tough. Because if we're crooked, God's got to straighten us out, right? Like if any of you have ever broken a bone before, right? Like you have to straighten that bone out and that's hard work and that's painful. But if you just kind of like walked around, like what if the girls who just had all their knee stuff going, right? Like, like what if, what if Kyla and Haley who just had all their knee stuff going on, what if they're like, no, I'm cool. They're just like, like hobbling around. We'd be like, come on, like get that thing fixed, right? But now they've gotten this surgery, which is something they couldn't do on their own. They've gotten this surgery and now they're able to walk. So my, my invitation to you is this. Tonight, I think Jesus brought you here because he wants you to walk again. He wants you to not be crooked, but he wants you to live and he loves you. And he actually gave his life for you. And if you've never heard that message before, you have to hear it. That the God of the universe became a man and he gave up his life. He gave up the perfect life he had so that we could live out his perfect life. So that by his spirit inside of us, we wouldn't have to be crooked anymore. Because that crookedness has consequences. And so Christ took on all those consequences and said, you know what, man, I will walk the crooked journey so you can walk the straight road. And that's love. To lay down your life for people, that's love. And so tonight, what I want to do is I want us all to close our eyes right now. And I just want to give an opportunity. If there's anyone here tonight who you feel like, man, you've been on the crooked path for a while and you're ready to say, man, I want to follow, I want to surrender my life to God. I want to give up all the baggage. I want to give up all the brokenness. I want to give up just trying on my own and failing. And I want to just give it up to God. And I want to trust Him. And I want to surrender my life to Him. I want to give you an opportunity to do that tonight. And so, what I want to ask you to do is as, as our as eyes are closed, every eyes are closed, um, if that's you tonight, if you feel like, hey man, I feel the Spirit of God tugging on my heart, I feel Jesus speaking to me tonight, and I'm ready to stop living the crooked life and to start following the straight life that He has given me, which is a relationship with Him, then I want to invite you to just raise your hand. And if that's you tonight, that's awesome. So if if you feel like, hey man, God brought me here and it's time to just let go. It's time to surrender. And I want you to raise your hand high so I can see it. Every eye closed so I can see it. Okay. And if you put your hand up, uh, what I want to invite you to do is I want to invite you to say this prayer with me. And it's not a special prayer. It's not a magical prayer at all. It's just you saying, hey, Jesus, I'm ready to go all in for you. I'm ready to surrender. So I want you to pray after me and you can just pray in your heart. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for speaking to me tonight. 
Jesus, thank you for putting inside of me the awareness that things are wrong and that you created a life for me to live. And so tonight, Jesus, because I know I'm broken, because I'm honest, I surrender my life to you. Jesus, come inside of my life and mess things up. Get me back on the right path. Do the surgery in my heart. Change me, Holy Spirit, so that I could follow you, so that I could choose you. Thank you, Jesus, for being the way, the truth, and the life. I surrender my life to you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Um, Real quick before we go, if there's anybody willing who said that prayer, would you stand up just so we could celebrate you? If there was anybody that wanted to, that want to stand up and just share that with us. Woo! So last, stay standing, stay standing. Last chance, if there's anybody else who said that prayer that want to stand up, we just want to celebrate you. We're not going to like bombard you or anything, but let's just think. Awesome. That's awesome. 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 You-